Again, today is Trinity Sunday, the solemnity of the Most Holy Trinity. In clerical circles among priests and deacons, it's often referred to, however, as Heresy Sunday because it is so difficult sometimes to speak about the Blessed Trinity without falling into heresy. There are certain truths that we must, up, must uphold about the Trinity itself. And thus, whenever we hold to them too firmly, we find ourselves in the ditch. If we don't hold to them firmly enough, we find ourselves in the other ditch. And so it's a very, a very fine line that one has to walk in being able to, to speak of the things sensibly about the Blessed Trinity of any substance, and yet to remain not a heretic, not someone contrary to the faith. It was with the knowledge of that that on my, the weekend that I was ordained a deacon was Trinity Sunday. I was ordained on the Saturday before Trinity Sunday. And Father Miles, under whom I was doing my, my diaconate internship, he said, he said uh, Brent, would you like to, to preach your first weekend? I said, Father, that's Trinity Sunday. And he said, yes. And I said, no. <laughs> I was terrified. I don't want my first homily to be heresy. You know, the second maybe, but not the first at least. You got to start off on a good foot. And so... I preached on the Tuesday after Trinity Sunday to be safe. But it's this reality that, that there is a great mystery to the Trinity, and, and the more we seek to understand it, the more and more it is mysterious to us. In fact, this is so much the gift of our faith. But in our world today, there's an emphasis in, great, in a great many places upon knowing things. We must know it, we must understand it, or it's not really real. There's a sense in which even the, the pride of humanity has come to think that, that even if there are things that we do not know today, give us time and we'll figure it out. The spirit of pride manifests in so many hearts. But this is a contrary thing to the fact of the reality of, of things, that there is a certain number of things that we simply cannot know, at least not in their fullness. In our Catholic faith, there are a variety of these things. One of them is, where is heaven? Our Lord ascended, Our Lady was assumed, they have bodies, and they have to be somewhere. Where is that? That is mystery. God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, took on flesh in the womb of a virgin, lived his earthly life, died, raised himself up again, and ascended into the heavens. How do these things happen? It is a mystery. A bishop can lay hands upon a priest, pray over him a few words, and anoint his palms with oil. And then at that priest's words, he is able to make present the God of the universe in what seems bread and wine. This too is a mystery. And the fact of the thing that every one of us must wrestle with at some point in our life, whether in our own flesh or with someone else, how is it that bad things happen to good people? The problem of suffering, a mystery. Indeed, all of these are mysteries, and there are many others that we could add to it. But the central mystery of our Catholic faith, in the middle of all of these things, is the great mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, God himself, around whom all other things must necessarily revolve. The Trinity is a great mystery. He is three persons, and yet one God. He is the same substance, 
consubstantial, and yet distinct from one another they must be. We hold that the Father begot the Son, and the Father and the Son together spirated the Holy Spirit, and yet we also hold that they are each eternal, never having end or beginning. God is all-knowing, He is all-powerful, He is all-present. He is all-good, He is all-true, He is all-beautiful, He is the all-holy. He is, as one philosopher-theologian spoke, that than which nothing greater can be thought. Because if there is anything greater than what we understand to be God, that thing must be God, because it is more superior. All of these things are mysteries that we must wrestle with as we come to know the one true God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a great mystery that is brought to us in the fact that none of these things are things which we ourselves could truly understand by our own thoughts. None of us in the whole history of humanity and with all of eternity ahead of us and all of human minds come together would not have been able to surmise the fact that God is three and yet is one. It is something that God himself had to tell us, that he had to reveal this to us. He had to open up himself to us. He who was perfect, who had no need of us, who is the absolute perfection of all things. There is nothing wanting in God. There was no empty space that he created humanity so as to fill. He is complete. And yet, he has created all of, all of things that exist. And he has created us. And he has loved us. And he has delighted in us, as the scriptures remind us today. He has no need of us whatsoever. And yet, he wants us intensely. He longs for us and goes to what, for, from our end of things, is an absurd length to be able to, to unite us to himself, to be able to come down among us and to bear his cross, to die for us, to taste of all of the things except sin that we ourselves do, so as to allow us to enter into the heavens. This, too, is a tremendous mystery that we must wrestle with. It is God who comes down to us. It is the God who has created all things, and he comes to us here and now. He knows every one of us by name. He knows everything about our lives, even the thoughts that are hidden within our hearts that we ourselves barely understand. He knows it, and it is clear to him. And he comes and he calls us. He calls us closer and closer. In fact, this is the great goal of the Christian life, is to be brought into God. In the early church, we would use such terms as divinization. It sounds a terrifying thing, and yet it is the truth of our theology. We are made God in some mysterious way, where we are brought into his life, and yet remain also ourselves wholly and entirely distinct. We are drawn into God. One theologian describing God as love, loving love, taking his cue from St. John's Gospel, where he speaks of God as love. It is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who in this eternal exchange of love, both poured out and received, which we are drawn into. By virtue of our baptism, 
God comes and begins that, that new life within us. That by virtue of our baptism, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell with us. And we know that where one person acts, all three persons do. And so it is not only the Holy Spirit who comes to be with us, but also the Father and the Son. Revelation tells us the same. Our Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and he who would open the door to me, we will come in and make our dwelling with him. It's the Blessed Trinity who desires to abide within our souls. It is love. And we are caught up in that love. This is something that 11 years and two theology degrees later, I still barely even understand. How is it that we are brought into the love of God? Brought into the interior life of God, that most secret place that is hidden from all other things except that which is revealed? It is that that we are brought into the very heart of God himself. In response, the only thing we can do is give our own love and give back the love that he has given to us. And in fact, these are the same. Because to be able to love God is always, as Pope Benedict XVI referred, he said, always it is an I love you too, because it is God who has first loved us. All we can say is, I love you too, in response. It's God who in his goodness comes to us and draws us into himself every week, even by the Holy Mass. We know that he is already with us and in us by virtue of our baptism in the life of sanctifying grace, of saving grace. But he even comes here on this altar to make us experience that communion in a unique way, a physical way that we ourselves need to fill us with his life and his love. In fact, in so many ways, the only thing that we ourselves can truly offer to God is the gift of his son, which is what happens every Mass. Every Mass the hosts and the chalice are lifted up. Both the, the faithful might be able to worship and to adore the true presence of our Lord in the Eucharist, but also that they might be found pleasing in the Father's sight. In so many words, every time we elevate the hosts and the chalice, it's essentially us saying with our actions, if not with our words, Lord, we have nothing else that we can give to you to repay you for the good that you have done to us. We give you the greatest thing that we ourselves have ever received, your Son. Here he is. It's this gift that we rejoice to celebrate and to receive once more today. The gift of drawing close to our Lord in Holy Communion. To know that he is already with us, but wants to continue to be with us. To increase himself within us for his glory and for our good and sanctification. And so as we offer this Holy Mass, let us give thanks to God for this gift of his love poured out through us in the Holy Spirit. Let us rejoice in the hope that is offered to us that even in the midst of the mysteries of this life, that God himself is greater than all of these things and understands them well. Let us place our faith and our trust in him to know that he and his love for us desires to draw us close to himself, to sustain us in this life, that we might be able to remain with him forever in the next.